Hello, and welcome to the Natural Evolution Podcast, produced by Rebel Health Tribe. I'm Michael, and I'll be your host. Together, we will be hearing inspiring stories of healing and transformation, learning from some of the brightest minds in the world of functional medicine and holistic wellness, and exploring the world's best health-related products, services, tools, and resources. finally recording i just we just set the record for the, the longest amount of time talking before going on air we're at 50 minutes which is impressive that's an impressive podcast we should have recorded that it'd be its own podcast but i'm uh this is gonna be fun i'm here with brie um brie weiselman is a friend of mine and also a board certified primary care provider so um we're gonna talk health things now and learn about hormones and anxiety and her story a little bit and blood sugar and how these things all kind of play a role in how we experience what we're going through in life um, from what lens and what perception. And um, I think anxiety is something that, especially given the last couple years, uh, if there's anyone listening to this that has not experienced any anxiety in the last two years, I would probably want to check a pulse. So um, before we go, though, like, I'm going to do a little intro because not everybody knows you as well as I do. So Brie runs an online functional medicine clinic that focuses on helping women to optimize their health so that they can have more powerful impact in the world and take full pleasure in their success. She also sees men. I just want to throw that out there, guys. Don't turn this off. You're going to learn cool stuff too. And besides being an expert in hormone balance, she specializes in helping people heal digestive problems such as IBS, ulcerative colitis, parasitic infections, candida overgrowth, and SIBO to rebuild a bulletproof microbiome. She's a licensed acupuncturist. Um, what's MTCM? Is that Chinese medicine? Yeah, that's a Chinese medicine certification. Okay. is board certified primary care provider, functional medicine practitioner, and the clinical director of Brie Weiselman Integrative Health, a groundbreaking virtual clinic supporting individuals across the U.S. and across the world. And we just spent like 45 minutes talking about traveling and things across the world and languages and sheep and cheese. So um, now we are going to talk about something else, which is more relevant to this podcast. And that is, um, first, welcome. Thanks for coming to do this. And um, I know how busy you are, so I appreciate the time mm -hmm. and always enjoy it. Thanks for having me. You know, I feel just uh, an aside. I feel like we could just say, okay, and everyone move to Italy and shortcut the rest of what I have to say. <laughs> sure. And then we'll, like, including you, and then we'll record from here in a couple of we'll weeks and there. take them to see the sheep and the cheese. <laughs> so, um <laughs> and it'll have an impact on hormones. So your jam is really hormones and gut stuff. And sometimes people look at those as two separate things. And um, nothing is two separate things when it comes to chronic disease or rebuilding health, and especially hormones and gut stuff. So we're going to kind of learn about some correlations there. But the hormones became a, an interest and a focus of yours largely out of necessity right absolutely i mean so what i'll say is you know it was something that i got called to do early in my medical training so there was two things that happened a little bit simultaneously one was that i was seeing people in clinic and realizing that um and this was like in my medical training that like 75 percent of the time some level of anxiety panic or trauma were present in the room 
even if it wasn't the main thing we were, you know, the person was seeking support for, right? So like, you know, you got 44 to 50% of people who come in seeking help for IBS, um, almost anyone with fertility challenges or autoimmunity, chronic health issues. And so, you know, in my practice, I see a lot of people who come in because of things named like endometriosis or histamine intolerance, all those things, but then there's, and then it's, and also I have anxiety or panic, right? And so, these things are just there and, uh, you know, it can carve out having tools to help kind of shift them can carve out bandwidth and space for people to work on the other, uh, underlying root causes or like to have space to even look at the traumas that might be underlying all of it. Um, so it's not that necessarily, you know, we were talking about how hormones in and of themselves are rarely a root cause, which is a little controversial to say, cause they're definitely a big contributor, but their hormones are responders, right? They're the language our body uses to talk to itself and send messages around to the different regions, bioregions to tell them like, Hey, here's what's up. Here's what I'm seeing out here. Are you guys seeing that over here? Here's how I think we should respond. Um, so they're a little bit of the canary in the coal mind. Um, so anyway, that's I kind of get blamed for the dysfunction that is present a lot of the time <laughs> when really they're just like communicator molecules. Exactly. It's like blaming the messenger sort of. Exactly. Blaming the messenger. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, how I really got into this was that hormone issues and figuring out that they were hormone issues literally changed and saved my life. So, you know, my backstory is that, um, you know, as with many people with health conditions, I have, you know, trauma early in life and my trauma, I'm very fortunate to say it's kind of, I call it like lowercase T trauma versus capital T trauma. And what I mean by that is mine was kind of medical, um, not as much like psycho, spiritual, emotional, maybe, but I was, I had, um, a really dicey birth situation. Uh, I've done like hypnosis regressions where I felt like, you know, there were aliens looking at me in a case, which was probably like the, you know, um, the lights I was under and all that stuff. But uh, I've had asthma at a really young age, um, secondary to like mold exposure, genetics, some overhead pesticide spraying. And then I also have a condition called polycystic ovarian syndrome, PCOS, which no one would have known when I was born. It's not something we know until women are of reproductive age or even older, but um, it's genetic and clearly it wasn't impacting my ovulation at that time. It, that it's basically a disorder of um, infrequent ovulation and a bunch of other things. But the, the connection is that people with PCOS have um, more frequent mood and depression, anxiety, and a higher cortisol response to stressors than other people. So, um, you know, I had great doctors, my asthma doctor gave me meditations to do, but it was like this barrage of medications being rushed to the ER for not breathing sitting out for sports and recess, um, medications through a nebulizer three times a day. It was very like isolating and felt like being different. And then the stimulants contained in the meds to, that were keeping me alive were basically speed, you know, and they made me hypervigilant and have this and trained my body to this sympathetic dominance. Um, so, you know, that was great for doing well at school and, you know, you got to put that energy somewhere, but basically it's now what is being called high functioning anxiety, um, which is a funny term, but with some OCD components, right? So fast forward. In terms we create and by we, <laughs> I mean like Western, I don't know, medical conventional science, uh, are increasingly hilarious to me as I start yeah. to learn like actual root causes of some of these things and like what's actually going on because like if uh for example like you know somebody's somebody's like a child 
passes away tragically and then their mother dies and then they lose their job and then like something happens and then they will give that person like a label as like manic depressive disorder or some sort of disorder and it's like they're going through a lot of shit right now that's very 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 hard right they don't have a disorder like and it's yeah anyways let's pump this kid full of stimulants and then tell them that they're a hyperactive disorder and this disorder and it's like man no it's not a disorder it's the body's absolutely perfect response to the situation yeah well and i just think like the name high functioning anxiety implies that there's low functioning anxiety which is basically just you haven't reached a breakdown yet Right. I think low functioning anxiety is like mental breakdown, like, right. like can't function. Like, like uh, I've been there too. Yeah, for me, oh, for low sure. functioning anxiety looks like rocking on the couch and doing nothing when I should be doing 27,000 things. I've been there, totally. um, but yeah. that's also not a term that's being like frozen. You're overstimulated. Like there's too much. Anyways, yeah, we anyway. could go on a side yeah, rant, but okay. So, yeah. so you, anyway. your experience as a child with like significant uh, asthma, like serious asthma, sounds yeah. like pretty dangerous, yeah. life-threatening asthma, being rushed to hospitals, going to doctors, having treatments, not being able to play things and do things that the other kids were doing. Plus they gave you speed. Yeah. Um, and then, so you were a little anxious as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. And then what happened is like when I hit my teens and was supposed to get a period, it didn't come till I was 17. Um, I didn't know about PCOS. No one knew about PCOS really. So my, when it did come, it was always crazy irregular, like six, nine months in between cycles. And I would just get kind of crazy before and not know why until I would randomly get a period. And I started having anxiety, panic attacks. And then it turned into during my like grad school, medical school years, this hellish insomnia for about, you know, six to eight years. Um, So basically I sought help from a million people and there were certain things that were uh, pivots along the way, but I started seeing all of this reflected in my patients in clinic and was like, okay, I got to really nail this. Like I'm being called to answer what's going on here. And there was no one who could really at the time put it together in this full way. So there were definitely some things that helped. And I will say the first and foremost one was you mentioned the blood sugar piece. So I saw a naturopathic doctor around about the time that I was just totally losing it. And like, not, I wasn't going to be able to make it through, you know, school. And she was like, Hey, you know, I had, I had come from this long, I turned, I decided I was vegetarian when I was around age eight. And then that turned into veganism in my kind of like, uh, angsty activist teens and early twenties. And, um, Just cause you liked it, like a moral vegan, like you liked animals and you, yeah. yeah. Okay. It wasn't working out for my body. And frankly, I wasn't doing it necessarily in a way that was like as um, healthy as I could have been because I didn't know much about nutrition. But what happened is that she said, okay, look, your blood sugar's all over the place. And so we need to get you some protein and we need you to have a whole bunch more omegas and healthy fats. And just those things were huge because blood sugar has this huge impact on, I mean, it basically low blood sugar will mimic anxiety. And what's happening is like our body attempts to bring our blood glucose levels up to normal. So we don't like die if we're hunting and gathering, it's kind of primal. And it does that by secreting uh, adrenaline or epinephrine. And that triggers glucose to be produced in the liver or liberated in the liver. And that increased adrenaline triggers fight or flight response in the body. So that same biochemical process is always, is also linked to like anxiety or getting in gear to avoid something that might, you know, harm you. 
So when this happens like repeatedly over time, more habitual low blood sugar can also uh, encourage higher cortisol production or stress hormone or stress response hormone. And so cortisol helps the tissues in your body be less responsive to insulin. And that helps increase glucose circulation in our blood. So high cortisol levels are also linked to anxiety in the long run. So is it a healthy situation that isn't bathed in stress? Uh, the main function of cortisol is to raise blood sugar. Like it is secreted when you're low on blood sugar. So it makes sense that it would not only spike blood sugar, but it would blunt insulin receptors because the insulin, if anybody's listening and doesn't know, insulin receptors grab blood sugar. Um, so if you blunt those, it would be a double-sided thing that it's doing. It would raise the blood sugar by causing the release of some, and it would stop the utilization or the absorption of it. So then your, your blood sugar in blood levels yeah. would be up. And it's doing exactly what it's supposed to do. Exactly. But for like the majority of our existence on the planet, we were in scenarios where it was going to make or break the outcome of us living or dying if we could like mm -hmm. keep functioning and keep going, like keep running or, or like using the sugar. Yeah, using the sugar. Because we didn't have food and we didn't. Yeah. 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 And today's world doesn't look like that because, you know, uh, we have, if it were you, we Lots have lots of food, cheese shops and butcher <laughs> fresh mar outdoor market. We can run down there any day of the week. So anyway, um, bottom line is that blood sugar swings are one of the, like hands down the biggest driver of fatigue, anxiety, and mood swings that I see in my work with thousands of people and also just inflammatory anything. And so the first thing I do, even if someone is on like a super limited diet, cause they cannot only tolerate whatever is to help people understand about, um, balancing the ratios of high quality proteins um, carbs and fats that they eat in their diet. And just that step alone, before you run any labs, before you give them supplements for something, any of this stuff that gets more tinkery, um, we can see like, you know, radical turnarounds just by tweaking things a little bit. So that's the blood sugar. Cool. Yeah. Um, I've seen blood sugar, like I didn't fully understand it. Uh, Mira for her last flare ended up um, she was on like low dose, low dose steroids for a long time, like six months, probably. And that wreaks hell on blood sugar regulation, especially if she's not like world's most regulated blood sugar person to begin with, but steroids definitely affect that in a very oh, yeah. serious way. Yeah. And I would watch like real time throughout the day. I could almost tell, uh, I need to put food in her mouth right now. <laughs> Um, just from like, just an immediate shift into like a completely different person. Oh um, and it's, it's not your fault when that happens. Like, no. um, it's, it's like rage that can't be, <laughs> it's, oh my gosh, it's, it's like it's someone so flipped that. Remember there's that animated, is it Pixar that made the movie with the, the little guys in your head? Um, oh, yeah. the, cartoons. Um, the yeah, rage yeah. one the rage one loves yeah, yeah, the yeah. low blood sugar like, oh it's so funny he was just hangry um it's you're joking yeah. but you're not like i literally tell people if you don't know if you have a blood sugar issue let's talk to your whatever whoever you live with or yeah. partner, if you have one yeah it's literally are you like terrifying when you're hungry are you terrifying <laughs> or like dysfunctional in some way i mean basically it comes down to like when we eat our energy shouldn't change we shouldn't get more energy and co and collectedness and calm than we have or we should or need to go to bed 
need to go to bed. After if, a meal. if one of those things yeah. are happening, there's a blood sugar issue, period. So you can run, you know, blood glucose and insulin sensitivity testing. You can run your HbA1c and your fasting glucose and insulin or your LDH or glycomark. There's all these other ways of assessing uh, insulin tolerance, glucose level uh, issues. But really, that is like the the number one marker. So blood sugar is key. Yeah. Uh, we talked blood sugar and then um, people with anxiety. And if you, if you're listening to this from a different angle, like some people with, you know, they know they have anxiety and they've either been to a psychologist or psychiatrist, maybe you're on medication, maybe this has been a lifelong thing. And what I'm noticing now that I've kind of shifted a lot of my own focus and energy and, and study and involvement to what I would call kind of the other side of healing versus this side being the functional medicine, nutrition, lifestyle, uh, integrative health. The other side being the mental, emotional, spiritual trauma. Um, a lot, just like not very many practitioners on the health side are super well-versed on things over there and like the, the trauma and neuroscience world. And then what I'm learning now in working with a lot of people over there is that the concept like blood sugar impacting anxiety and mood and things like that. Most of the people over there, both the professionals and what would be the equivalent of the patients or the clients, uh, they don't know that either. And so someone could be trying to like therapy away blood sugar related anxiety and blood sugar related mood swings and even be called, I mean, somebody with severe blood sugar swings could easily be labeled bipolar. Oh, yeah. Like, easily and um so if you've been labeled that or anxiety or any of these high functioning any of this stuff this is important to, to oh, hear yeah. because simply working on blood sugar regulation could make a massive difference in your your mood and your energy and your your partner's well-being <laughs> yeah i couldn't say it better i've absolutely seen that hundreds of times um the other you know, so the hormone that I really focus on next, uh, if I may, is the progesterone. And so yeah. there's a story about this one too. So these pieces didn't happen all at once, right? Like now, if it was me coming to see me, we'd run all these tests or we'd talk and I'd understand where to go much more quickly. But for me, this happened over a number of years, which is a lot of times how people figure this out. So I was in med school for Chinese medicine. I was focused ironically on treating people for fertility issues. And I thought I couldn't conceive. I didn't think I was fertile because my cycles were still kind of all over the place. I had no idea when or if I was ovulating um, yet. And so I got pregnant <laughs> and surprise, it wasn't intentional, but I got pregnant and it was this huge aha because for the first time ever, I knew what it felt like to fully inhabit like my physical tissues of my body, like, like in my skin. I felt heavy and grounded, calm, content, and sleepy, like actually sleepy. It was divine. I was blissed out. And so I was like, oh my God, this is what progesterone feels like. Like, whoa, I got hit over the head with it and was like, oh gosh, I love this hormone. <laughs> so, why, why do so, and I'm, I'm guessing you're, you're not the only case in the world of a woman who was very deficient in, in progesterone. Um, what causes that to happen? Uh, so there's a lot of different reasons, but like the primary one in women of like reproductive age is anovulation. And so just not ovulating, right? Because if we don't ovulate, we're not popping the egg out of the follicle 
in the ovary. And then what happens is that the little scar where that egg pops out of is called the corpus luteum. And that becomes a hormonal manufacturing plant for a while until the egg either gets fertilized or doesn't and implants in the uterus lining or doesn't. And then, uh, then either you get a period or you stay pregnant and the actual implanted embryo becomes hormonally active and makes its own hormones. So what happens is that progesterone, the intention of it from our body's point of view is basically to help you get and stay pregnant, to maintain a pregnancy and hold the lining so that you don't get a bleed. And so if you're not ovulating, you're not having that corpus luteum form and then secrete all that you know juicy progesterone basically to help you out. Um, and so there's a lot of reasons why women might not ovulate ranging from like, um, hypothalamic amenorrhea is basically when your, uh, brain says it's not a good time for you to get pregnant. So we're not going to let you ovulate. And that usually is related to either overtraining, under eating, extremely high stress, some other things like that. Um, but one there's the most common reason of anovulation is polycystic ovarian syndrome. It's, you know, they estimate 10% of women are on the spectrum. There's different ways PCOS manifests. Um, but so what happens is, as I explained before, that is a disorder where, um, it's often linked to insulin and insulin signaling insulin resistance of some level, it can be more of an adrenal thing. That's a whole nother discussion. And we can go in depth about PCOS, but basically it inhibits regular ovulation. And so at that time for me, because some women with PCOS can, you know, now I have a regular cycle. It comes every, every month, yada, yada. And some women do, but a lot of women, the hallmark can be irregular periods. And so I personally had the cumulative progesterone, progesterone exposure at that point of like a postmenopausal woman at around age 22 or 23. <laughs> it was wild when I actually measured it. So I measured it and I start after, you know, after that experience, I measured progesterone when I wasn't pregnant and started taking cyclical bioidentical progesterone and really dove into studying that and using it in clinic with phenomenal results for all kinds of things in women. So your brain has receptors for your sex hormones, right? And so they're clearly able to influence brain function and mood. And women with low progesterone levels are really prone to anxiety. Um, there's an increase in anxiety and frequency of panic attacks during like PMS, post-childbirth, uh, perimenopause and menopause for the reason of these, these are times when we see drops in progesterone, sudden drops or big drops. Um, and progesterone has a connection to the uh, neurotransmitter GABA. Um, so progesterone and basically it's metabolite, allopregnenolone, it's one of the um, metabolites of progesterone act as a natural antidepressant and enhance mood and allevi alleviate anxiety. And it does this by um, activating the GABA-A receptors, basically modulating the receptors so that they're more receptive to GABA, which is our feel-good, calming neurotransmitter. It's the only neurotransmitter we have that's technically inhibitory or calms activity in the brain. And so GABA basically promotes sleep and a sense of calm. And fan. I love GABA. It's like if I had to pick exactly. one, right? Mm -hmm. um, so the more progesterone you have, the more GABA you'll produce and accept. And so that is, so then lower progesterone is the, then you don't have the inhibitory GABA that calms and calms everything down. So exactly. yeah. if, and if you combine the low progesterone with the blood sugar dysregulation, which is common, like those things together due to stress and the same things that cause one tend to cause the other. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's a, that's a, that's a whole lot of feeling anxious and ungrounded and imbalanced and erratic. It is absolutely. 
I'd like to briefly interrupt this conversation to let everyone know that we've got a free downloadable Foundations of Wellness Starter Kit that's available for you right now over at www.rebelhealthtribe.com backslash foundations if you'd like a little help organizing and implementing all your learning from this podcast. A gift from our team over at Rebel Health Tribe, producers of this show. And now, back to your episode. So, you know, um, and a lot of women with low progesterone levels have other signs than just anxiety. Mm -hmm. They might have sleep issues. They could have, you know, menstrual cramping, heavy bleeding, breath swelling, water retention, uh, irregular periods or spotting, um, menstrual or premenstrual headaches or migraines. Those are some of the other symptoms. Um, but off, honestly, or often we'll see this kind of sleep anxiety piece. And what's interesting is it's not just the GABA thing. There's this connection between progesterone and histamine, which is another big hormone for anxiety that doesn't get talked about enough. Um, so histamine is having a moment, like right now, people are talking about histamine and histamine excess and tolerance yeah. what it does. So it's more on our radars, which is great. But basically what happens is that we have this hormone histamine. It's also a neurotransmitter. It is a regulatory agent in our immune system. And it like, we need it for digestion to happen. So it's not just a bad guy, but when you get too much histamine, you can often get symptoms of, you know, uh, redness, irritation, allergic response, hives, um, swelling, uh, all kinds of things. And one of the things is that, um, it basically is a stimulant. It's a stimulating neurotransmitter in the brain. And so, um, I often see this, there's a histamine type, right? So people who have high histamine in the background tend to have a higher stress response and, um, anxiety, panic are often perfectionists. They kind of have high expectations. They want things to be a certain way. And I'll often see high levels of histamine in their blood. Um, and so, like I said, it's excitatory when it crosses the blood brain barrier and you'll get this kind of highly motivated overachiever, inner anxiety, outer calm, maybe competitive usually with themselves and a little bit of a need for structure and strong routine, like ritualistic behavior to feel control over things. And so again, it goes back to that like high function. If you're feeling anxiety. attacked out there, this isn't personal. I'm not attacking you at all. That, that same it's type me. of person would take things personally when they hear the things. So this is not about <laughs> you. Whoever you are listening. Um, I'm watching No you. personal attacks. Yeah. <laughs> Bree's stalking you. Oh yeah. Anyway, but the positives just to turn it around is that these, you know, people tend to be highly intelligent, super productive and really successful in work and life. So it could really work for them when it's in balance. It's just that when it gets out of balance, it's poor stress tolerance, feelings of anxiety, insomnia like that. And so the, connection to his to, to progesterone is that so progesterone enhances the production of an enzyme called DAO and allows us to secrete normal levels of it. And so when we are estrogen dominant, estrogen in higher levels promotes actually the release of histamine and receptivity to histamine. And so what happens is that when we get a relative state of estrogen dominance, it increases the production of histamine relative to the production of the enzyme we use to break it down. And we can get symptoms related to excess of histamine. Um, so you'll often see that run in families, people who get a bunch of migraines and then, you know, uh, anxiety, um, things like that. And women will tend to see this flare, um, right before ovulation or more so right before the menstrual cycle. Cause we're naturally estrogen dominant at that time. Um, so if you get symptoms like that and you also get like hives, flushing, sudden diarrhea, rashes, ear, nose, throat, 
stuff with itching or weepiness or redness, migraines or heavy bleeding, those are other clues that histamine could be um, kind of in the room too. So yeah, so it's cool because when we give people the bioidentical progesterone, it can tend to um, be one of the ways of approaching kind of calming or mitigating that. Um, yeah. Gotcha. Um... I guess we kind of covered how blood sugar, progesterone, histamine, and then how those three, uh, I guess, levels or factors can contribute to like really similar symptom uh, profiles and which leads to what you described there just a minute ago when everybody was attacked. So um, other than bioidentical progesterone, which uh, if you're interested in something like that, you know, reach out to Brie or a practitioner who's well-versed in these things, please don't just go find and start taking progesterone. Um, I just want to throw out medical disclaimer right there. Um, <laughs> where does somebody kind of start uh, with, I mean, cause it can feel pretty overwhelming when you hear like, Oh my God, my hormones are messed up and my blood sugar is probably screwy and I don't know what histamines are, but it sounds like I have those. And <laughs> what is going on? Um, I guess like a starting point of, and, and this isn't medical advice. This isn't personalized. A lot of these things have pretty unique ways that you got to where you're at. So there's going to be rather personalized ways to get yourself out of those situations. But there's definitely some things I would think that almost anyone uh, would probably be better off for doing or not doing so a a general like foundational a few tips or suggestions uh -huh. or nutrients or supplements or practices or things to avoid or if you're just going to give you a top few what would that look like mm -hmm. well so some of them i already mentioned i mean um looking at how we eat and balancing blood sugar Everyone can do that. Mm -hmm. And I have a handout that I can, you know, uh, give to you to attach. People can just look at that. And it basically walks you sure. through how to do that, no matter what kind of diet you're on, you know? Um, so that's step one. Um, obviously doing things like um, where you have empowerment around your sleep hygiene, you know, getting adequate sleep and rest. Um, and then like moving your body appropriately for you. It doesn't mean everyone go out there and start doing CrossFit, but just moving, right? So those are like three basics and you know hydration so those kind of are across the board health steps um the other things are like so i haven't gotten into basically when i when you're working with a practitioner and looking at this i would look at these hormone markers in blood and look at you know so it's usually kind of i have this signature five-step thing that's like blood sugar um adrenal hpa axis and thyroid hormones um reproductive hormones and then looking at the gut and looking at detox um, so those things, like, for example, things you can do on your own that are going to impact those systems. Like let's talk about HPA axis adrenals. We don't have to dive into kind of the role of that. We all know that dysregulation of cortisol would be another hormone that could be involved here. I mentioned, but basically, you know, yeah, there's fancy protocols you can use to help change what's going on with the adrenals. But the number one thing I do with people is like, asking them like, how are your relationships? How is your relationship with your work, with your world? You know, it may involve, like for me, involve letting go of some toxic people and habits and behaviors in my life, um, getting some support from someone else. Like there's therapy or stress management practices. We have this awesome new platform I heard about called Inara. 
Um, but for me, it looked like a lot of, you know, a combination of things. It was transcendental meditation, a little hypnotherapy, some neuroplasticity exercises, kind of a la Gupta program, some psychedelic journeying, and then really looking at things. Like I asked people, you know, right. How's your work environment? Are you on purpose? Do you feel like you have healthy relationships there? How's your home life or marriage? Um, you know, do you feel supported? Are, are you in alignment on things? And then like, for example, this is huge. You know, I can't really underestimate this. Like I recently had a new patient whose parent was her really only close connection in the world. And she had this phobia of this person passing, which was very real, right? And it stemmed from some things she'd experienced in even infancy before she was verbal, right? And so like we had gotten through this in-depth intake, she'd seen many practitioners had complex health issues. And I was just trying to jump on board, you know, her journey. And like, I finally stepped back and I asked her, I said, you know what, like who else do you, what other connections do you have in your life? You know, and she had no one, like no one. And so my main, the main prescription was literally let me help you find community and not just like a support group around pathology, but like, let me help you find ways to connect with some other people, ideally doing something you love. And she loves nature and being outdoors. So like, that's our first step. Right. Um, so stuff like that are like, yeah, the labs, the protocols, all of that is like, you know, I wouldn't have a job if I didn't do that with people, but all this other, that work is what allows those protocols to to ultimately have impact and change, help you change things. That's really cool. I'm excited every time I hear health practitioners talk about stuff like that now, because like, that's kind of my jam is those side of things. And like, right before you even said that that's what you had told her, I heard, you know, what you were saying. And I even like, pieced it together. Like, I bet that individual had no other connection than that person. And then of course, you're going to be scared of that. Of course, that's going to be terrifying to you, especially if it's been that way since you were young. You said it was a parent. So that was their one connection, like forever. And then you can piece together that that was probably an individual that didn't have a lot of friends growing up and never really had social connections. And then um, the connection piece and like community aspect of health um, is grossly underrepresented in discussion when it comes to things in our, even in functional medicine. Like I just moved to Italy a month ago and Italians right now, I don't know the, the exact numbers, but the life expectancy is about eight or nine years different between Italians and Americans right now, I think, or like it's, it's up there. It's quite a few. And one thing I noticed when I got here is way more Italians smoke than Americans. Like especially California where I've been like nobody in the Bay smokes anymore, unless you're like looking at the like outside of a bar or something like that. And no, I'm not piling on anybody who does. I smoked for a pretty decent portion of my life. I used to be a bartender. I don't want to dig anybody's lifestyle choices. Mm -hmm. Like it's obviously not something for creating health, but it doesn't make you morally a bad person. So I just want to throw that out there, but um, a lot more people smoke here and one might see that, and then be like, oh, wow, these people smoke. This is probably a really unhealthy society. Yet, Italians live longer, have lower rates of chronic disease, and have less cancer than Americans do. And what I've also witnessed uh, in the month that I've been here is that everybody in this town knows everybody else. They all talk to each other. When I'm in the coffee shop before I go to language school in the morning, 
I can sit in there for 10 minutes and 20 different people will come in. They get their coffee, it's handed to them really quick and their coffee is espresso, which is a little shot. And then they say hello to the barista and they say hello to whoever's in there. There's like banter, gossip of what's going on in the, in the town, in the neighborhood, back and forth. It's like the connection spot. And this isn't the only one of these in the town. The coffee shop is the morning one, but that's a thing here that is valued above almost anything else because before we went on air i was talking to you about how there was a sign on a door here that said like workers tired restaurant closed and i immediately jumped to being an american it was like what this is absurd like if that happened in the u.s they'd get like angry yelp reviews and people being like i needed my burrito at two in the afternoon like but um <laughs> They don't give a shit about that. Like it's my, my teacher was like, of course they're tired. Why would you work when you're tired? They're going to stay home with their family and family is huge. Neighborhood connection is huge. Social life is huge. Like these kind of things, these connections are, and in other places where long lifespans, Greek, Greece, and you know, different place like that, the fabric of their existence is the connection with other people. And um, that can't, be overlooked like yeah. yes their food is a little higher quality and more clean but if you if americans smoked at the rate that italians smoked that age gap would go from seven or eight on the life expectancy to like 15 because it would be catastrophic for some for for a population of people that doesn't have the the connection yeah. so that was like a really long-winded way to share like my experience and just what i've seen in a month yeah. is like it's such a staple in the life that uh, like I told you before we went on air that they think I'm like, it's catastrophically terrible that I go to school all day now and I work all afternoon and night, five days a week. And I don't have time to like go to the cafe or go to the Osteria, which is like the restaurant or the Enoteca, which is the wine bar. And they don't see me at those places. So then they ask like, what are you doing? I say, I'm working. And they're like, all the time I say yeah it's like sad it's it's sad like it they say you're gonna get sick yeah I mean we are um, we are sick from isolation so like you know there's all these studies of the blue zones there's all these studies yeah. of like and we try to in our like reductionist primarily American yeah. science, narrow it down to like antioxidants or like what type of yeah. food we eat and everyone's yeah. like, it's like, you're not, you're seeing, not seeing the forest for the trees. And it's like, it's not just Italian to center the family. No, no, it's like the rest it's of human. the world. Like well, it's, well, it it's human world. before, it's human before this, before this development, this, this modern society of. Yeah, if we didn't live yeah. with our people, our tribe, we would die. I mean, we were literally yeah. on each other for survival, right? And so that is programmed into our, the fabric of our cells, our being. And that is yeah. like. That is the main driver of illness. Like, look what happens when an infant is isolated and nobody comes to it. It literally freaks out, like right. freaks out, freaks out, freaks yeah. out. That doesn't change. No. Like, like you're just a giant baby. So um, like, it doesn't change. Like that need yeah. is still there. And there's still a part of you and your physiology that freaks out when it's not present. Like it's still a survival thing. Like isolation means it gone, dead, extinct, can't be here, won't survive. Absolutely. And that's been programmed, like over-programmed, like in our like Western modern society, like it's been overridden. 
uh, I have to work all the time. I have to do this thing all the time. I have to live in, and if you live like now, people are having to move back in with family because things are going to shit. In quotes, like people are like, oh, this is so catastrophic. Like family units are getting back together to live together. I've got news for you. Everywhere else in the world, they already do that. Yeah. Not everywhere, but everywhere that isn't part of the modern, like advanced culture. And it's actually good for you. Yeah. So, um, you know, like, but it's like a death sentence to us. Oh my God, families are going to be living together again. And it's now. like, oh yeah. So, um, yeah. I love that you brought that up and I love that you focus yeah. on that. And the yeah. lab tests are cool. The hormones are cool. The supplements yep. are cool. These things are cool. And I can rattle off and, some nutrients um, people can take too. And there's all of that. I mean, I'll give you the list so you can post it. But I mean, you know, when we really get down to it, that's what gets people better. And I mean, I say that after working with people clinically for 22 years, um, which is a, you know, a flash in the pan compared to some of the practitioners out there. But I guarantee you, if you talk to anyone who's worked with humans, trying to help them feel better in some way long enough, it, it, you know, if you're not seeing that, you're just not looking at it. Yeah. So that's a great, that's. Let's do a whole nother podcast on that. So I apologize for hijacking the last few minutes of your podcast a little bit, but um, it's just been such like a dramatic thing to see. Like it, it's in front of me everywhere I go all the time. And it's um, it's just been like a culture shock in a really positive way. Like, oh, wow, this is better. They rest when they're tired. They hang out with each other. They talk to each other. They connect. They There's community here. Like, what is this strange thing I just landed in? Um, do you guys want to be friends with me? So, um, so that's why I'm so frantically trying to learn Italian so I can do that. So um, thank you. Thank you for sharing all this and your experience. And, um, you know, so much of what you do and where you base your, where you come from with your work is based on your own personal experience. And I think that that makes a lot of difference with practitioners when they've been through the thing that the person they're working with has been through because it's um it's hard to be on that side of it and to have somebody that gets it and sees it and understands it and doesn't talk to you like you're a statistic or a number or a program or a protocol uh, is always refreshing so uh, we'll put the links down below i'm going to follow up with you to get the handout that you mentioned, I don't know if that's the same, but I, I made some notes, handouts from Brie, nutrient lists, parentheses, question mark. So I will reach out and get those and then we'll have links down below. Uh, BrieWeiselman.com is your website, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then we'll yeah. put the link down below with like a picture so it'll be easy to find and click. Uh, so that'll all be below in the show notes. What, what should they just go there and browse around or is there a specific thing they should look for or do or what's... They can go to the website and browse around. There's a contact us if you have questions or want to set up a free consult. I hang out on my Instagram account a lot if you want to chat with me <laughs> um, over there on that, that profile. I post hopefully help content too. That. It's a good Instagram for people who do health Instagrams. Yeah. Oh, thank you. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'd love to hear from people. I really enjoy connecting. And thank you so much for having me. This is a blast. Yeah, super fun. Thank you so much. And we'll we'll connect soon and we'll uh we'll do the next podcast from the field with the sheep. Awesome. I'm I'm putting it in my books. <laughs> okay, cool. Thanks, Bree. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. And that wraps up another episode of the Natural Evolution Podcast. Thanks for listening, and please check out the links in the show notes below to learn more about our guests and grab your free downloadable Foundations of Wellness Starter Kit. 
which will help you implement what you're learning here and make powerful shifts in your health and your life right away. Just go to www.rebelhealthtribe.com backslash foundations and you can be started in only a few minutes. If you enjoy the show, please drop a rating, review, or subscribe to stay in the loop with future releases.